And now for something completely different. It's nice here, isn't it? Oh, very good restaurant. Three stars, you know. Really? Mm. Good evening, sir. Good evening, madame. Good evening. And may I say what a pleasure it is to see you here again, sir. Oh, thank you. Mm. Well, there you are, dear. Let's have a look there. Anything you like? The uh, Buffon Crute is fantastic. Oh, if I may suggest, sir, the Faisant à la Reine. The sauce is one of the chef's most famous creations. Mm. That sounds good. <laughs> anyway, just have a look. Take your time. If you like. Oh, uh, by the way, I've got a bit of a dirty fork. Could you uh, get me another one? A bigger bottle? Um, well, something. I, I've got a fork, a little bit dirty. Could you get me another one? Thank you. Oh, sir, I do apologize. Oh, no need to apologize. Doesn't worry me. Oh, no, no, no. I do apologize. I will fetch the head waiter immediately. Oh, there's no need to do that. Oh, no, no. I'm sure the head waiter, he will want to apologize to you himself. Uh, I will fetch him at once. Uh, well, you certainly get good service. They really look after you, yes. Excuse me, sir, madam. Filthy! Gaston, find out to wash this up and give them their cards immediately! Uh, uh, no, 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 better still, can't afford to take any chances. Sack the entire washing up stuff! No, look, look, I don't want to make any trouble. Oh, no, please, it's no trouble. It's quite right that you should point these kind of things out. Gaston, tell the manager what has happened immediately! Look, look, no, please, please, please I, I don't want to cause any fuss. Please, it's no fuss. We simply wish to ensure that nothing interferes with your complete enjoyment of the meal. I'm sure it won't, it was only a dirty fork. I know. Well, I'm sorry. Bitterly sorry. But I know that no apologies I can make can alter the fact that in our restaurant you have been given a dirty, filthy, smelly piece of cotton. What a smelly? It was smelly and obscene and disgusting and I hate it, I hate it, I hate it! Nasty, grubby, dirty, mangy, scrubby little boy! What? Good evening, sir. Good evening, madam. I'm the manager. I've only just heard. And may I sit down? Yes, of course. I want to apologize humbly, deeply, and sincerely about the fork. Oh, no, please. I was only a tiny bit dirty. I just couldn't see it. Oh, you're good, kind, fine people for saying that. But I can see it. To me, it's like a mountain. A vast bowl of pus. Oh, <laughs> it gets me. <laughs> I can't give you any excuses for it. There are no excuses. Welcome to the Noted Podcast. Today's guest is John Newberry. John, how are you? Doing well, thanks, Pierre. How are you? Good. And my co-host is Michael Goldstein. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, so, John, we wanted to have you on. Well, you wanted to come on, uh, which usually we don't take a guest request. We kind of tap on the shoulder, <laughs> drag him on. Um, but... Since you are our three-time now champion of Noted Podcast, uh, we accepted your request to come back on. Uh, very, and very gracious of you, Pierre. Thank you. Well, this is an issue that affects our audience directly, right? This is the Noted Podcast. Uh, it's for people who run Bitcoin full nodes. And we had uh, what was called a critical vulnerability exposure, I think, CVE uh drop on monday um and that there was an issue with our node software 
uh, specific, you know, versions, and we can get into that. Um, and in a bombshell tweet, John Newberry said that he was responsible for the CVE. <laughs> yeah. So normally, Thanks, normally, you know, when you do something really awful to Bitcoin, uh, you pretend like you didn't do anything bad, and you go along your merry way. Uh, that's I think that's been like the historical pattern. Um, but uh, so it was it was kind of surprising to see John uh, take the fall for this, um, especially when like when you go look at the evidence, you don't find his name anywhere. Hmm. Well, but uh, I, uh, anyway, uh, I'll my words aside. were taken out of context. Yeah. Well, all kidding aside, I mean, I, I think that um, discussing Bitcoin's problems and not just its uh, strengths is an important thing. Uh, and you know, when we think about Bitcoin's trustlessness, uh, it always has an element of we have to trust the underlying open source software that uh, we're running uh, in order to be using the Bitcoin system in a trustless manner. And so I think that uh, bugs like what we're about to discuss highlight the limitations of the trust model that we have. But uh, it's really seems to be the best that we can do, but we can get into that, too. Um, so, yeah, let's start with an explanation of what the CVE was. Um, and then we can talk about like the, the code itself uh, and whatever else comes to mind. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so should we start with the, the CVE itself and what it actually says? Um, so CVE 2018-17144, you can find it on the NIST site, I think. Um, but the description is Bitcoin Core 0.14.x before 0.14.3, 0.15.x before 0.15.2, and 0.16.x before 0.16.3, and some versions of Bitcoin Knots allow a remote denial of service application crash exploitable by miners via du duplicate input. An attacker can make Bitcoin D or Bitcoin QT crash. But this was, so this was like written up after receiving information from what at the time was, a, an, well, still is today a pseudonymous person, I think, or uh, we didn't know who it was at first that submitted this, and you know, there's drama behind behind that. But um, this, the email that first, I was reading on Bitcoin Core has a blog post about this, and so I'll link that in the show notes. But uh, the email initially went to I think four or five different people uh, describing the issue that had been discovered. Yep, that's correct. It was sent in by someone using the pseudonym Beard and Boobies. And it was sent to uh, Peter Wooler, Greg Maxwell, Vladimir, all of whom are Bitcoin Core contributors. Uh, Peter and Vladimir are maintainers. And also to Dead or Nix, who is the lead maintainer of Bitcoin ABC, and SickPig, who is a either a contributor or maintainer of Bitcoin Unlimited. So I, I'm sure this isn't the first time that 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 group of people has received an email about a security issue. Um, whether it was a you know a legit turned out to be a problem or a perceived security issue that then they discovered was not. So how how do they like sort out like false positives from you know the information the emails that they're constantly receiving from from people? Sorry, Pierre, I, I dropped you through. 
a few seconds there. Yeah, so do you have some color on like the emails that you receive on a daily basis or it might be weekly or monthly of security issues that people are reporting that turn out to not be a security issue? So how it seems as though they quickly came to the conclusion that this was a problem. Uh, do you have some like insight into why it was so easily seen as a problem? Uh, well, I'm not on that security list, so I, I don't see any of those things. I can't tell you how much traffic they get. Um, but the report was later made public um, and put on the Bitcoin dev mailing list. And it's quite a full report. But if you look into what the details are, it's very easy to just by looking at the code or writing a very short test, very easy to validate for yourself that this is a problem. So um, after they received that, they, let's see. So they received it at 257 UTC. And then at 315, Greg Maxwell shared the report with Corey Fields, Suhas, Alex, and Matt at Chain Code Labs, who are your, your co-workers. Um, so I don't know what time that was on Eastern time, 2.15, or sorry, 3.15 UTC. 3.15 UTC, what would that be 11, yeah, like 10, 10 or 11. 10.15? Um, yeah, I wasn't actually in the office that day, so um, I missed all of the fun. Slacker. <laughs> you missed like a, yeah. yeah the, the, you, one day, the one day John doesn't show up. Yeah, what is right. a toss? Is that the one day? Um, <laughs> so... So I, I imagine that uh, there was probably a, a commotion at Chain Code Labs when uh, this got forwarded, or w was it pr pretty calm? I don't know, Pierre. I, I, I imagine pretty calm. Pretty, pretty cool customers here at Chain Code. Um, so at, then at 5.45, Matt Corallo identifies inflation bug. So the e email that came in, this seems to imply that the email that came in only talked about the denial of service issue of um, clients that are of a certain version crash when they receive a block created by a miner uh, that is spending a transaction that is double spending, or sorry, that, is, that has a transaction in it that is double spending um, an output. So that's the denial of service attack. It just crashes, um, but then there was an inflation bug. Do you want to describe the inflation bug with that? Yeah, so there's, it, it's a bug in both cases um, that if your node receives a block in which there is a transa transaction that has duplicate inputs, it will do something wrong. And depending on what version of software you're running um, and where that transaction originated, the wrong thing it does is different. So if you're running um, any Bitcoin version prior to 14, you'll do the right thing, you'll reject that block because a transaction with duplicate inputs is invalid and so the block is invalid. If you're on a version of Bitcoin between 14.0 and um, I think just 14, any 14 version, um, if you receive that block, you'll crash, which is bad behavior. If you're on version 15 or 16, then depending on whether the duplicate transaction is spending from a transaction in the same block or from a transaction from a prior block, you'll either crash, which is bad, or even worse, you might accept the block as valid, in which case the miner has been able to inflate the supply of Bitcoin.
Gotcha. Uh, so this this hits close to home because uh, my favorite hobby horse in Bitcoin is its monetary policy, and if that you know got inflated by a bug, I think that's like a worst case scenario for uh, my relationship with Bitcoin. <laughs> and and you wouldn't be alone, Pierre. I think a lot of people would be rather upset. Yeah. So, so now w we've gone back and verified that you know the, the the chain has not been, or the the validity rules that we expected have not been violated in the past. Um, it, so it it's a bug that, uh, while present, was not exploited, that we know of. That, that is correct. Uh, definitely not exploited. There's there's no blocking the chain that is doing this, and if any miner tried to do it, either in the past or now, that block would be rejected by your upgraded node. Um, yeah, so I, back on the timeline, there were people that were making some noise about how uh, the miners were kind of given priority in this process over you know, non-mining nodes, and that being a vindication of a certain point of view that miners determine consensus and are not just uh, you know, the humble servants of consensus. Um, so what what is it that led to the decision to like speak with Slushpool and uh, get miners involved in in the situation? Well, I, I can't speak to that decision or any decision made by you know, Matt or, or Greg or Peter. I, I'm not, I, I wasn't part of that, and um, so I, I can't I can't tell you why they chose to to, to talk to Slushpool, but I can give you the kind of um, rationale of how you would want to approach one of these bugs, which is you want the fix to get out before anyone exploits it, but you don't want to be waving big flags saying there's a bug here that you can exploit. So there needs to be some careful consideration of how fixes are rolled out. Um, and the, the article that you're talking about on bitcoincore.org goes through the timeline and explains like exactly what happened in this case. Yeah, I mean, I guess to me, like the the issue of whether miners get uh, notified earlier or later, you know, in the process is that if they're mining on an invalid chain that then gets reversed, uh, they end up with a loss of funds. And whereas like with other people, you know, if it gets reversed, then maybe their transaction is reorged out and has zero confirms when, you know, they thought that they had like X number. Um, yep. But it's not really an immediate loss of funds like it would be for a miner where we're invalidating the, the block reward. Yeah, but there's still a double spend risk. So if there were a block that had exploited this and it had been extended by other miners, um, then as soon as the fix was released and that chain was reorged out of the the best chain, then all of those transactions would no longer have any confirmations and they could be double spent. So you want you want miners to be mining on a chain which is correct and does not have invalid blocks on. So um, I, I think Peter and Greg and and Matt and Others reached out to miners and also important economic nodes, so exchanges. Bitcoin Optech um, reached out to its members and said, you should upgrade. Um, and the idea was to try and get the large 
economic nodes upgraded as quickly as possible, including miners. Got it. Um, and well, so before you asked, or before like there was the 16.3 release, um, how did, how did, how, like, do you, do you have insight onto like what the decision process was in actually creating the pull request and how to present like the code and no, sorry, Pete. Uh, sorry. That's all right. I, I, we had the wrong person on the show. We, I should have dragged Matt on here, not you. Matt's too busy doing real work. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He was on Marty's podcast, though. He was. So uh, after after this got fixed, um, and I asked because Dodonix was like, I fixed this as part of a refactoring so that no one would like see it. Or I, I heard something like that about some kind of bug. I don't know if it was this one. Um, but... I thought that was that was clever, but also like, how much of that do we want to go have going on in the code base? You know, of like people slipping in changes that are unrelated to a refactoring that they're doing, and you know, fundamentally changes the validation rules. Um, so, but at the same time, like doing it publicly, you're announcing to the public, uh, you know, hey, there's there's a bug here, and because you're releasing the code before you're releasing the binaries. Like there's a chance that it gets exploited very quickly, um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting that there's different ways of looking at the pull request. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I think there's maybe trade-offs, and it is interesting to think about. But I, like I said, I can't give you any yeah. visibility into this one. Um, and then the other thing that got brought up was like the alert system and how it had been removed, and thus it made the uh, network vulnerable to. Um, a situation where the, the client has a vulnerability and uh, they're not, node operators are not updating their software. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. Um, there's a really good Bitcoin talk um, thread on just that subject. Um, and I think you can put that in show notes. But in that thread, Greg talks about um, the alert system and the problems with it. I think Peter Wooler has tweeted about the problems as well. It, it, this is a, kind of a debate that's been had and really, I think, been put to bed months or years ago that the alert system is bad and should go and it's gone. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's there's any new information here that informs that decision. I mean, so much so that uh, even Satoshi's keys um, have basically been uh, revealed to the public. Um, Brian Fish, I, yes. I believe he had actually yeah, the revealed fi I think the, the final... private key itself, but um, so, so the original keys are compromised. Um, it, there was a lot of good discussion around that time of just reminding everyone why the alert system is, is a highly centralized uh, sort of choke point in Bitcoin. Yeah, and Brian Bishop talked about that in a talk at Building on Bitcoin. There's a Bitcoin dev post about that. Um, yeah, the final step was to reveal the the private keys just to completely put this thing to bed. So it's, it's gone. Alerts are gone. And it's funny because like we still on the other end have a complaint of like, oh, well, the core developers are pressuring people into updating their nodes. And this is centralization because yada, yada, like, and I, I even saw someone say that what you should do is downgrade your node, not upgrade it. Uh, downgrade it to the last known uh, good version, which I thought that was a, that was an in interesting take. 
yeah, but um, there are other problems with older nodes. I wouldn't recommend anyone downgrade to 14 or earlier. Yeah. Um, and then on the timeline, that's pretty much it, right? Um, so I, I thought that one of the interesting things is that like immediately after this got out that, um, you know, people look at the pull requests and the changes made, and then they just look at like, what, what was it before and who changed those specific lines of code uh, before? And so then they were like, oh, well, this is Matt Corallo because uh, this is the lines of code that he changed. Um, and I was reading a piece that's going to be coming out soon uh, by Jimmy Song where uh, he kind of outlines that this was like a confluence of changes. And so if you just look at that line in isolation, um, then you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, it was one one person and, you know, the reviewers of that pull request. But then if you look at the wider context, the reason that that one change was not okay um, was due to like three other pull requests that were not the same person um, and touched very different parts of the code base at very different times. Um, and all of this is what like got together to be the perfect storm of uh, the inflation bug. And it, it reminded me of a, uh, a YouTube video, I guess, about programming that I just listened to where the guy goes, you know, the really good bugs are teamwork. It takes a team to really introduce a, a good one. Yeah, I think that's right. So the, if you look at the pull request, I think it's 9049 that basically removes this individual check um, for validating a block. It, it looks pretty obvious that it's a bug. And in hindsight, it is pretty obvious that it's a bug. But in the wider context, um, prior to 2013, that check was redundant. And there was another check somewhere else. Um, so it wouldn't have been a bug if that PR had been merged prior to 2013. So that's not to excuse it. Like it was, it's still a crass bug and we, we still should have caught it. But this stuff is pretty complicated and validation for processing a new block is pretty complex and spread out over lots of different functions. And it seems, it seems overly complex and ripe for refactoring and if this was anything else you might refactor it and say okay this this doesn't make much sense we should put this here but in consensus you, you don't want to refactor right because any small change can introduce a consensus bug or a consensus incom incompatibility so it's even though it's complex and difficult to kind of parse where things are happening it could do a better commenting for sure but um you can't really fix it by just moving things around because that will do more harm than good. So like traditionally, if you come across a, a code base that is what you're describing, because this happens with non, like in Bitcoin, it take, gets taken to the nth degree because of the consensus nature of Bitcoin. But we, ha we see this happen in companies as well, where they're like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't, don't touch it because you know, if you break it, then we're really screwed. It's our core platform. And usually, like to me, that's a sign that there's not enough automated testing going on so that they're, they're not confident about the coverage of the behavior of the system 
with automated testing because like once you have automated tests in place now granted i'm specifically talking about systems that are not consensus based like bitcoin then you can start refactoring with a lot more confidence and moving things around um so do you, do you think that it's like a combination of there could be a better like test environment for it or you know any number of like solutions like that um or would that not even like begin to cut it or like the current test coverage is already fine the problem really is about the consensus uh no i don't think the current test coverage is fine i, I think it's okay and it's definitely a lot better than it was two years ago and two years ago it was much better than it was five years ago initially there were no tests um so it's getting better but I don't think I find it implausible that we would ever get to a stage of testing where we would think, okay, it's safe to refactor all of consensus now. Um, because even the most edge of edge cases, the smallest of changes in consensus opens up the possibility of a consensus failure. And that can be leveraged to split the network or double spend or carve up the network and reorg. So, You've got to be, you want to be 100% certain that any change you make to consensus code does not introduce incompatibilities, and that's almost impossible. Even with 100% line coverage testing, it, it, it's really difficult to get all of those edge cases. That's fair. Um, and I'll also link in the show notes to uh, Greg Maxwell posting on the issue of uh, testing and he, he's got some views. I, I don't know that I share his views. He he seems to be pretty skeptical about unit tests and kind of sees most, mo, you know, he, he, he finds that unit tests in practice end up being a lot of uh, dumb testing, not smart testing. But um, well, he, he does he does make some interesting points with that, uh, because if someone there is a problem, you know, with unit testing. And I remember you know, writing my first unit tests as a, a software developer years ago, you gravitate towards writing tests where you know the actual outcome ahead of time in the sense that you write the test so that you get that green check um, rather than um, writing smart tests that um, really think carefully about the edge cases. Right, sure, you can, you can write bad tests. Um, that doesn't mean tests are bad. And then you have to test tests the tests. Who, who will test the test, man? <laughs> well, the code tests the test. Um, Greg also talks about mutation testing, where you mutate the, the product code and check that the test, tests and fail. Because um, if they don't fail, then they're not really testing anything. Yeah, Eric, Eric Scrivener in the chat is uh, saying how testing has the combinatorial explosion problem too. Specification and statistical certification are probably more effective. So, and then in the uh, Ethereum world with smart contracts, we started hearing about like formal verification of smart contracts. And I, I'd be interested in hearing like, have, have, do you hear conversations among core devs about uh, these other approaches to verifying the correctness of the software that we're building? It's not something I know anything about. Um, I. I think it would be slow as far as I'm aware and performance is also important in 
in your Bitcoin node, but I, I'm afraid I'm not an expert on formal verification. Yeah. Um, and then most, like, I, I think that what percentage of like the testing on Bitcoin is integration tests versus unit tests? Um, we, we integration, we, we use integration tests a lot and I, I, I would argue we overuse them because the, the test framework, um, the Python test framework is really easy to work with and I've seen cases where I, I would personally think it would be more appropriate to use unit tests or, or test smaller components, but it's easier just to use the Python test framework to spin up a node and send in messages. And even if you're trying to test one line of code, you're spinning up an entire Bitcoin D node to test that. Um, so I think the unit tests could be improved. I, I think our integration tests are pretty good right now. Yeah. Um, and then, so on, on the subject of like that, uh, the need to improve things in this software, which is like open source and whatnot, um, yeah. people talk about the lack of developer incentives where they say, oh, you know, all the developers are working on ICOs because they make money there because they're issuing, you know, new units of XYZ. Um, Bitcoin lacks this incentive for developers. And thus, it's going to have like a tragedy of the commons, uh, and we Bitcoin won't be able to keep up technologically with its competitors. W what do you make of that, like that line of reasoning? <laughs> um, I'm not convinced by that. I I think we have a pretty robust um, developer group of developers working on Bitcoin, Bitcoin Core, and other Bitcoin projects. Um, it's getting bigger all the time. It's bigger now than when I started two years ago. And we, we have new contributors coming in all the time. I think we're more um, bottlenecked on experienced reviewers and maintainers. Um, that's, that's where the main slowdowns are. And I don't think adding new developers into the mix at the bottom is would solve the problems. Um, I think we need to it would be good if we could improve our processes so we can um, take some of the load off those maintainers and if we can get better experienced reviewers, but that, that takes a long time. Yeah, because I, I think that there's also the effect of reviewing someone else's code is not necessarily as much fun as writing your own. Um, <laughs> and so that's, is that, do you think that that explains it all of like why there's 250 open pull requests? Um, and it's not always easy to, to get your code reviewed by someone who's experienced. Possibly. Yeah, possibly there's, there's more glory in getting commits and adding review comments. Um, I think a lot of people just don't feel comfortable, as comfortable reviewing um, other people's code in Bitcoin Core because maybe there's the perception that you need to have more experience to review other people's code, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that we could do it more review and definitely more experienced review. But like I said, it takes quite a long time to get familiar with the system to be an experienced reviewer. Right, because as someone approaching this might be like, okay, well, there's no, there's no point in me reviewing this because I'm not experienced. It's like, all right, well, how are you going to get experience if you don't start reviewing things? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like, it, 
how, how do you see it unfolding that uh, that is it just going to be a natural process of today's beginner or intermediate reviewers uh, gain more and more expertise over the years um, and then development will accelerate or uh, are there ways of like having you know training for reviewing or things like that where you know Jimmy's been teaching developers about the the fundamentals of Bitcoin, and then you could have like a secondary course after that of, all right, well, specifically from a software development perspective, here's how you would contribute to Bitcoin Core. Yeah, potentially. I mean, that's something that we've done a couple of times at Chaincode. We've had residencies where we've we've trained developers up on contributing to Bitcoin Core. And one of the things, you know, one of the activities that I organized during those the second residency was um, like exercise pull request reviews where everyone re review the, the same pull request and we review each other's reviews. Um, so I, I guess other people could do that. It, yes, maybe it is a natural process that over time people will review, but I think just crossing our fingers and hoping it will happen is probably not good enough. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think we definitely do need more and better reviewers. How, how many chain code labs do you think could exist before you would say there's too many? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't think there is a number. I, I think you know, I'm very happy with the work we do here. And I'm, I'm happy that other companies are beginning to um, sponsor and support and hire open source Bitcoin developers. But I think the more, the better. Yeah. Because I think that like one of the one of the problems is like the narratives that are have to be driven on like a political level by participants in like, you know, call it the, the crypto industry, um, which is the like uh, the core devs have to be either elevated to an infallible state of, you know, perfect expertise or they're the shittiest code monkeys you've ever met and they <laughs> ruined Bitcoin. So like. It has to be on one of those extremes. And the, the problem with, and th I think that's driven by like the underlying political debate between, uh, you know, for, for, for scaling solutions between on-chain scaling and level two or whatever. Um, but if you, if you set that aside, um, the, the problem with it in my mind is that if on the Bitcoin side, we say, you know, we've got the smartest developers, we've got the best developers, that means that there's like very well, the the message you're sending is that we don't need more developers and we don't need to invest more in educating people about Bitcoin development uh, because we've got it covered. Right. Um, and so that's that's the problem I see with like the on the Bitcoin side of the narrative. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, I think we are blessed with some very, very intelligent and capable developers. Um, I, I don't want to say they're the best in the world because I haven't <laughs> haven't judged and assessed all developers in the world. But um, you know, we're, we're lucky that we have people like Matt and and Peter and Greg contributing to the project. Um, but we could always use more, and that's something that I personally spend a lot of time thinking about and working on. Um, you know, more developers would be good. We want good quality developers. But I th I think to scale the project safely, um, the number one priority should be on improving our processes um, around our maintainers. I think um, Vlad and the other maintainers are um, a bottleneck. They, 
they're overworked and um, it would be great if we could find a way of getting them to removing the stuff that they don't strictly need to do so they can focus on the high value stuff and we can therefore move faster but still safely yeah and that actually brings to mind this idea that like the only people who can work on bitcoin are people who you know know bitcoin very well but i i would challenge that with the fact that like there's a build system for bitcoin core uh, you know, using this p- library called Auto Tools, like that's something that someone wouldn't necessarily have to know all that much about Bitcoin to to maintain and to uh, to improve or to refactor or whatever needs to go on there in terms of tech debt. Like you can have someone who's just basically an Auto Tools expert and a build system expert uh, be focused on that. Um, yep, and you can and, have someone who's a QT expert for yep. the GUI. Uh, And then on the RPC side, uh, (laughs) I don't know if there's RPC experts out there. API design experts there are. Certainly, yeah. And ours could definitely be improved. On this idea that, uh, you know, Bitcoin Core, whether or not it has uh, the best developers in the world, certainly has some really fantastic developers. Uh, David Harding had sent in a question um, for the show, um, and he, he couple of uh, questions in here, but um, a lot of people are going to be contemplating what went wrong, and I look forward to reading their conclusions. But for now, can you describe what you think went right? We now know who the original bug reporter was, but who else do we have to thank for uh, for ensuring that all of the drama was on Twitter and Reddit rather than on our nodes? <laughs> um, well, I think probably the people in that Bitcoin Quarter Org article um, so Vladimir, Peter, and Greg were the first ones to receive um, the, the email. And, and then they talked to Suhas, Corey, Alex, and Matt. I didn't have anything to do with any of that. And you know, I think they handled it well. The, the 16.3 release, the code was written, built, deterministically built, released within um, well, the next day, I think within 24 hours. And so that was really fast considering all of the steps that are needed to get a release out of the door safely. Um, so Corey Fields as well and Fanquake and other contributors turn it around really quickly. Um, we got 15, a, a 15 and a 14 release. Um, the patch is out pretty quickly. I don't know if the binaries are available yet. Those people, those you can see their names on the on the article, and, and they're the ones to thank for handling this professionally. We should also, you know, thank all many um, for oh, of course. Uh, yeah. sending in the bug. Um, I wasn't as much of a fan of his uh, write up on Medium, but uh, yeah, I think that's graciously thankful. <laughs> a little bit, but still, thank I'm you. I'm graciously for thankful that he uh, submitted all of this because you know clearly this was something that needed to be known and needed to be fixed. Yeah. Um, well, on, you know, with him in mind, so they seem to have found this bug while working on, um, I guess, Bitcoin ABC or Bitcoin Unlimited um, code. And so there's been tied with this uh, debate around this bug 
you know, renewed interest in uh, the notion of having multiple implementations um, and perhaps that being a better thing. Um, can you share a little bit about your perspective on multiple impl uh, implementations and also if it's changed at all because of this bug? Um, I don't think it's changed because of this bug. Um, I, I think the jury is still out. I have always thought that in theory, multiple implementations would be a good thing. Um, and I've always thought that two implementations is exactly the wrong number of implementations. Uh, if you want to go to C with a Bitcoin implementation, you should take one or three, never two. That's Sorry, that's an old Bitcoin joke. Um, because if you have two and one diverges from the other, you don't know what the true state is. So multiple implementations in theory is a good thing because they can check each other. But there are lots of good arguments against multiple implementations in Bitcoin. Um, and some of those are laid out in the, the Bitcoin talk thread, the same one that um, went into the alert system. Um, I, I'm, I still believe that it's possible. Um, maybe not now, maybe at some point in the future, once, once we have a lib consensus, maybe that can be extracted from Bitcoin core and then reused in other implementations or Maybe when there's more money in developing implementations and companies are interested in funding open source implementations. I think in a world where there are multiple implementations, you would want the big economic players to be running more than one implementation in-house. Um, so it, it wouldn't be enough that you just run one. Preferably um, three. <laughs> preferably three. Um, but if you're running two, then at least you know when there's been a divergence and you should maybe start waiting for more confirmations or, or cease withdrawals or whatever. Um, so I, I, I still like the idea. Um, I don't think we're anywhere close to it right now, but I think the jury's still out. And it's, it's, I think it's a good thing that this bug has got people talking about it again, because I, I don't think it's been settled. Um, I, I know that Greg and Peter Todd have spoken you know, quite consistently against multiple implementations, but I'm personally not convinced. I think some of the uh, difficulties with it, and also, and I, if I remember, Greg Maxwell had, had touched upon this in that thread, uh, which is that if you require having multiple implementations, because if you have multiple implementations, you definitely kind of need to be running them so you can have a sense of when these things are happening. It creates an even higher barrier to entry um, for people who want to run nodes. So, uh, you know, that, that adds even more costs to the individuals who want to maintain their financial sovereignty. Um, although at the same time, if that is required to have certainty about the network, then, you know, perhaps those costs are just worth it. And it's the cost of uh, playing Bitcoin. Yeah, perhaps, and, and perhaps um, large economic nodes like exchanges would want to run more than one implementation, but for most of us, just running one would be enough, and we would accept transactions that have a certain number of um, confirmations, and if there was a divergence between implementations, we would read about it pretty quickly on Twitter or Reddit or wherever we get our Bitcoin information. Yeah, it'd be interesting if you could run multiple implementations using the same like block database so that you're not like taking up more disk space 
um, and then somehow, I don't know how it would work on the network side, but um, yeah, I don't know. Save resources. Maybe I mean that's you, a huge engineering challenge. That's massive, but yeah, yeah. Well, you'd be wanting you'd be wanting to feed the same data into you know multiple implementations and seeing that they converge to the same state. This has been one of the you know sort of annoying things to me about the 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 push for multiple implementations, which is many of the people who've been pushing this idea of multiple implementations their implementations uh, that they choose to work on are completely hard forked from Bitcoin. Right. Um, and that's so, something completely different. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it seems like to me, I, I, I have a hard time seeing it as, as much beyond concern trolling um, if you're not going to, you know, actually work on that other implementation rather than go make um, a, a completely divergent, unrelated coin. Um, and I, I think that's an unfortunate thing that sort of muddies up that debate um, concerning some people. If you're already uh, doing a hard fork or creating an altcoin, then you don't have to worry about what we've been talking about, which is the consensus, right? Um, the, that's the part I don't get is that here's an opportunity to remove all of the tech debt that's in Bitcoin, at least, at the very least, uh, you know, and then uh, rewrite it in Rust or something, uh, and then get going on a solid footing. Uh, but obviously they're just cashing out, right? They're not interested in actual software development. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't really care very much. Um, I, I think it's an interesting question about multiple implementations, no matter who it comes from. Um, we, we do have multiple implementations in Bitcoin. It's just those other implementations are not very widely used. There's there's Bitcoin, there's BTCD, um, there Bitcoin. are a few the Bitcoin. There's a few others, but they're not they're not widely used, and it's not obvious to me that they are consensus compliant with Bitcoin D. Um, if you are in a multiple implementation world, you would want your multiple implement implementations each to be well maintained and have an active developer community. I don't think we have enough developers to spread out across multiple implementations right now. Um, and if we look at the other blockchain that does have multiple implementations, Ethereum, where they have one implementation that is widely used and then maybe one that is not very widely used, and I think that's it. So it, I, I haven't seen it demonstrated that this works. Well, could you argue that- that's a blockchain that you can't even sync, so. <laughs> Right, exactly. What about with Lightning, right? Where there's multiple implementations of, of the bolts, uh, you've got LND that's written in Go, and then you have uh, C Lightning in C and Eclair in Java or Scala. Um, but it seems like LND is always leading. If, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll hear about it from. Uh, gentleman at Blockstream, but. Uh, Even beyond that, though. Yeah. Like that's that's still offloading the consensus of Bitcoin to the underlying Bitcoin node that it's connected no, to. I, I agree, but you could argue that the Lightning Network is forming, you know, its own consensus, right? Uh, which is how do how do the Lightning nodes communicate with each other? Um, but I think drawing the distinction between the consensus of a Lightning node 
versus that of a Bitcoin node um, is is important uh, to show why it's the case that Lightning is more amenable to multiple implementations. Yeah, um, if there's a interop failure between two Lightning implementations, there's there's money on the line for the people who have money in that channel or those channels that are traversing those implementations. But that's it, right? It could cause some disruption in routing across the Lightning network. If there's a interop failure between multiple implementations of Bitcoin, then the entire economy of Bitcoin is on the line, right? So it's it's a completely different order of magnitude of risk, um, and that's why it's such a it's a completely different problem domain. You you can't really compare the two, right? So it's sort of a, a localized consensus failure versus a globalized consensus failure. Yeah, sure. Um, Michael, did you have any more questions on, on the topic? Um, well, I'm trying to think of uh, some of the other questions that we saw on. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Google. Let me go back to our uh, listener questions, which is a treasure trove. Um, so, okay, this one's interesting because it, it it's you know we've kind of been beating around the bush on it. Um, I'd like to hear you guys talk to Newberry about the lack of a formal specification. Does he think that's due to practical reasons? Nobody wants to spend time on it or deeper technical reasons. One consequence of the bug seems to have been a renewed discussion of whether having other implements. Okay, we already talked about that. Um, but yeah, a, a specification, right? It's because we've seen people say, oh, uh, the code is a specification. Oh, that's not acceptable. Um, that kind of back and forth. Uh, often with academics. Yeah, I, it's it's really difficult to write a formal specification because of all of the edge cases. So if I sent you, Pierre, a transaction that just happened to hash to all zeros and you tried to spend the, the first output from that transaction, would that be a valid spend? Yes or no? I have no idea, John. Uh, the answer is it would not be a valid spend because there's a rule that says there can only be one Coinbase transaction in a block. And a Coinbase transaction is one that has an input that is null. So instead of pointing to a previous transaction, it just has all zeros in the the, um, the out point. So if gotcha. you try to spend a transaction that happened to hash to all zeros, that would appear to Bitcoin D as a Coinbase transaction and there would therefore be two Coinbase transactions in your block. Now that's, obviously that's not gonna happen because if you can find a transaction that hashes to zero, then SHA-256 is in trouble, but um, that's not an explicit rule. No one would write that in the documentation of Bitcoin, the protocol, because it's no one ever talks about that, right? It, it's, it's just a, a fact of the implementation that that's how we um, identify a Coinbase transaction. And there are, you know, I bet there are many, many other things like that where it's it's really difficult to enumerate all of the rules and all of the edge cases, um, and that that's just in the kind of the programming logic, right? That's that's all of the obvious stuff that is in the source code. But consensus is everything. Consensus is is not just the stuff in the validation.cpp file or the the other source files that say consensus. Peer-to-peer -peer code is consensus because if you can break the peer-to-peer -peer network, you'll stop nodes from reaching the same state. Um, Reorg behavior, if you can 
make reorgs difficult or costly, then that's consensus. The database backing your blocks is consensus. So if you wanted to write a documentation that contained all of consensus, it would end up being the source code of Bitcoin Core because that describes the behavior of a Bitcoin node. So it's it's difficult. Again, I don't want to say it's impossible because it's a nice goal to have. Um, but yeah, it's it's really difficult. In that um, Bitcoin talk thread too, um, Peter R from Bitcoin Unlimited actually pointed this out um, that a a spec would not have helped this bug um, because you know it's obvious that the specification for Bitcoin is that there's not supposed to be any additional coins, and this bug caused. Um, you know, a, a situation where had it been exploited, additional coins would have been on the network. Um, so because of that, you know, the specification, uh, as far as, you know, the monetary policy is very simple, but um, the specification may have not even have gotten to where it have, have seen these edge cases. Does that make sense? Um, I, I guess what you say <laughs> is like, it, the, the 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 inflation bug that could have been exploited was obviously not supposed to happen. Right. Um, so a specification would have just clearly said like, well, one specification of Bitcoin is that there's 21 million coins. Yeah, and fine, but Bitcoin Core until um, Bit42 did not comply to that specification, right? Bit42 fixed the bug which was in 0 0.1. Right, right. This is exactly sort of the point is that how would you have written it? Like we've been writing it down uh, informally, so to speak, the entire time that Bitcoin has existed that we're supposed to have this um, specific monetary policy. And right. yet the code operated, all of the nodes operated in such a way that that was not the case. So yep. this, this, is, this is showing like we, we often bring up the... Um, sort of like extreme edge cases of uh, possibilities, like, you know, just just edge cases of behaviors we wouldn't expect. Um, thinking of like the very sort of complex rule set. And here was a case where you had a very simple rule that there were edge cases that, that didn't uh, follow it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty well-established rule that there are 21 million Bitcoin and anything that breaks that is a bug. Doesn't matter if it was in 0 0.1 or it was introduced in 0 0.14, you know, that, that's a bug. Um, so I'm gonna grab another listener question here. How can we further increase participation in the review process? Is there a place for bug bounties? That's from Lee, at Lee Hudson. Um, well, there's another good, but Greg Maxwell it seems to have been writing full-time for the last week. Huh. There's just pages and pages of stuff that I've seen from him and he addresses bug bounties somewhere. I don't know if it's an email I saw from him or in a, a different thread um, saying that bug bounties are generally not very useful because um, if, if you want to incentivize people to work on finding bugs then your expected return from a bug bounty is pretty low. Um, and it generally ends up just giving the bounty to people who would have done the work anyway. Um, now there's a question whether 
um, you can incentivize someone who's found a bug to disclose it responsibly rather than sell it on the black market. That's, uh, that's one question. But in general, he doesn't think they're a good idea. I, I didn't, don't really have much of an opinion about it, but they don't seem like a golden bullet to me. So, someone pointed out to me today uh, a problem with bug bounties that had just not crossed my mind before, uh, which is that if someone might have an incentive then to want to insert bugs into Bitcoin so that when there's a bug bounty for it, they can also remove it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I think if they were if they had the ability to insert bugs into Bitcoin, then I don't think the presence or absence of a bug bounty would change their behavior much. I don't know. All right. Um, here's another question. Uh, what concrete things can non-technical people do to help the Bitcoin development process? Um, even test release candidates. That's something that everyone can do. Um, you can, there's lots of ways to contribute to Bitcoin Core, the project, um, for people who aren't technical. There's translations, there's documentation work. I mean, you need to be technical, but you don't need to necessarily be able to write code. You need to be good at writing words, um, testing, of course. I think learning about Bitcoin for yourself is probably the best thing you can do for Bitcoin. Um, so no matter how technical you are, you can still learn more. I can still learn more. Um, that's probably, I would say, the best thing. Listen to Noted. Contribute to Noted, of course. Uh, read Mastering Bitcoin. I think it's actually pretty approachable for a non-technical audience. Um, although yep. some parts go over my head. But yeah, generally, it's, it's dumbed down. Thanks, Andreas. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not true. It, it's so it's it's not too technical while still getting very close to the reality of what's going on. Um, so another question: Please summarize the code review process and comment on what steps can be taken to prevent deference to authority. Um, <laughs> so the, that's interesting wording. That's a, that's a little uh, uh, aggressive, but I, I see where he's coming from, right? Um, yeah. And the other thing, too, that I saw was like th there was the code review process for Bitcoin and for specifically the, you know, the C++ implementation has evolved over the years from Satoshi reviewing or possibly not reviewing his own code and, you know, releasing it um, to today where we might have six people review a change of code and then everything in between. Um, yeah, if you, if you check the um, PR for op eval, that's a really good example of how code review shouldn't be done. That was, I guess, back in 2012. Um, and, and generally, since I've been involved in the project, I think the bar for code review has been really high, especially in consensus code. So that's what makes this PR 9049 so perplexing and unusual that it would be merged with very little review, it seems, only one act. Um, so it's, it's an outlier and it shouldn't happen. It's, I think in general, we're, we're very good. Um, I was surprised when I saw 9049. Um, 
the question about deference to authority or was that the words deference to authority yeah, yeah yeah i think it's valid and good because i doubt 9049 would have been merged if it had been opened by random contributor one and utx by random contributor two um you know it's opened by matt Corrado and act utx by greg maxwell and that they carry some weight but they shouldn't carry so much weight that it just gets merged um, I, I think we're, I mean, we're all human and we use this heuristic of authority when judging code or judging anything and we do our best not to, but I think in this case, we've, we fell into that trap and it was merged too soon and that didn't raise enough questions. Um, so we're, we're all to blame for that. Um, I don't know, I don't know what can be done to improve that we just need to be okay. aware that let me float a solution okay, how about yeah. every pull request gets opened it generates a new pseudonym for you on github <laughs> and so you never really know like whose pull request is whose Until now the comments the you can choose to do pseudonymously or use your your uh, real name or your real pseudonym but um yeah what, what do you think about that it's an interesting it's an interesting suggestion. I mean, that's, I, I've not done much hiring, but we, for the residency here, um, when we were reviewing applicants, I made sure that the comments each of us individually made were not visible to other people commenting on those applications, right? Because you don't want to influence other people who are reviewing things. Um, so can you do that in terms of code review? Maybe it's an interesting suggestion. I, it might work. I don't know if you can do it on GitHub. I don't, I'm pretty sure you can't do it on GitHub, but it's right. certainly an interesting suggestion. Well, it'd be a lot of work to open a new account every time you want to open a pull request and then be logging in and out as you uh, do stuff. But um, yeah, this this would have to be something else. And then, uh, well, yeah. But the, the authority heuristic is useful in a lot of cases, right? right? It's if you see um, people who know the subjects and they you know, know that area of code and they act it, that is obviously worth more than people who don't know the code. So there, there is use there, but I think in this case, um, for whatever reason, that caused a PR to be merged prematurely. Yeah. All right. So that, that was a good question. Um, what kind of block analysis would have revealed the inflation exploit in action? If it had been used, how likely would it have been for someone to notice it without code review? So, yeah, if, if someone had exploited this, like, how would that have gone down? Well, there, there are nodes on the network, um, old nodes, that would have rejected this block. So we, we would have seen a divergence for any node that was older than 14.0 and presumably someone would have said something on Twitter or Reddit. Um, and I, I know of people who are running old nodes and check them. If everyone were running, say, 0 0.16 and this was exploited to inflate the money supply, I don't know how quickly it would be noticed. Um, if you if you switched off your node 
immediately after a block that exploited this, and then you restarted it, you rewind the last few blocks, and, and that would catch this bug. It, your, your node would fail, and you'd look into it, and you'd see that there's some anomaly. Um, but if everyone was still, if everyone was just running a node, I don't know how it would have been, it would have been seen. Right. Um, and then I have another question here of, has this event changed your opinion of how quickly the Bitcoin protocol should ossify? And they're like, I want to hit both the, the protocol, but also the, the code base, right? Because I think that, frankly, this had more to do with the code base ossifying or not ossifying than with the protocol. It's not like, um, although, well, yeah. So um, should we stop refactoring Bitcoin Core and stop messing with things? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, it would be a really boring project if we, I mean, it wouldn't be a project and bugs would not be fixed. It, this wasn't a change just for the sake of making a change. There was rationale behind the PR that introduced this problem. And that rationale is that block propagation speed is important. And the lower you can make that, the lower the stale block rate and the more secure the system. So it's not like this was just you know, someone mucking around with the code for no, for no good reason. Um, in this case, it failed. It was, a bug was introduced, but in many other cases, the block propagation speed has been increased or improved, and that has made for a more robust and secure system. So if you said, don't make any more changes, then we would have a less secure system, right? Because Bitcoin would be less performance. There would be more orphans, or sorry, more stale blocks. Um, there would be other bugs that weren't fixed. So this one is obvious. You know, th this is an obvious failure, but there are a lot of obvious successes that are not seen because they just work. But if you told me, Pierre, hey, do you want to have an inflation bug or do you want to have faster block propagation or, you know, have have faster block propagation with an inflation bug um, <laughs> that that would have been unappealing as a trade off. But like there it's not even I mean, you know, I'm talking about a risk that got realized, but there's a risk every time there is change made and maybe we're overvaluing the value we get from the change and other underestimating the risk that it's presenting to the system. Do you think that like there's there's cases of that or that generally we just got to keep moving forward anyway? I think generally we've got to keep moving forward anyway. That's not to say we shouldn't learn from this and ask right. ourselves very difficult questions like how did this happen and how can we prevent this from happening again? Sorry, you, you dropped off. Uh, now, I don't know if you, you kept talking and it's going to be in your Audacity recording uh, and we can just use that. Um, although that means I won't get to hear your answer until I listen to the show myself. Okay. So what was the question? Um, uh, oh, ossification, uh, whether we should stop changing the code. Um, but then the other thing too is on the consensus, right? Which is that, uh, is adding Schnorr a big enough improvement for us to risk, you know, something bad happening, some unforeseen, whether it's uh, a bug or behavior that we didn't expect um yeah i think it definitely is worth it and 
Schnorr signatures in Bitcoin in the Bitcoin protocol is at a completely different layer from the the accounting, right? Schnorr adding Schnorr signatures should present almost zero risk to offing of introducing an inflation bug um, because they they exist on completely different levels. Um, when SegWit was introduced, the design and um, the code of SegWit was had enough foresight to add um, script versions. So it's now easier to add new script versions and add new features within script. Um, so it, it's a smaller change than SegWit and the benefits are just so enormous in terms of fungibility and scalability that I don't think we should stop. I think we should go ahead and do it carefully and give it a lot of review, of course, like SegWit got. Um, but I don't think, I don't see this as a reason not to continue improving the protocol. Right. All right. We've got, we've got more than an hour now of, uh, us rambling on this, but, um, I think we should bring it back to what we started with, which is that uh, we found out that John is responsible for uh, this book. Um, and usually after a noted podcast, I put on a clip from the Jocko podcast uh, because that's my favorite podcast that I listen to. Um, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And this book has basically outlined some principles that uh, he developed and picked up while he was in the SEAL teams as a commander. Um, and basically there's, there's, there's like a chicken and egg problem of people blaming each other whenever, when there's a problem that occurs. Um, and they say, oh, well, so-and-so is responsible for the problem. And so they have to fix it. And then the other person thinks, well, no, you're responsible for the problem. You have to fix it. The, the end result is that the problem doesn't get solved. Uh, the only way to break that cycle is for someone to take responsibility to, to just, uh, you know, regardless of what they think regarding other people's responsibility, uh, they take their, their own seriously. And th that helps stop the cycle where others, instead of uh, responding defensively, they themselves also take responsibility. Uh, and that way everyone pitches in to solve the problem and then the problem gets solved. So like, I think that's, that's extreme ownership, uh, in a nutshell. Um, and I, I think that it applies even perhaps to a greater extent in open source, um, where it's not necessarily like at a company, you'll have people say, Oh, I don't get paid enough to deal with that bullshit, or that's not part of my job description. So I can, you know, punt this to and blame it on someone else. Um, in open source, like, granted, yeah, some people are getting paid to contribute to open source, uh, but they're they're not generally given a a specific you know direction from management, and that gives them the ability to blame management, right? Um, so, how do you see like the issue of responsibility when you're? And the other thing too is the software, you know, the Berkeley license or the BSD license or whatever. It says, this is provided as is, use at your own risk. We're not responsible for anything in, in legalese, which you know, they're, they're, they don't want to take on the liability of a $100 billion network, completely reasonable. Yep. Um, but how do you see like responsibility in that context 
Uh, and we've been focusing this entire episode on like developers and the responsibility in that regard. But the way I see it is that like people who are non-developers also share responsibility. Um, and whether it's the media or uh, trolls on Twitter um, or other projects as well. Um, but yeah, before I ramble on about those and start blaming other people, uh, let's, I, I wanted to see, because when I saw that you had a Twitter post, that was like, hey, I'm responsible for this. I was like, oh, well, this is fantastic. Someone is uh, taking ownership and that's, that's what I look for. Mm. Well, my tweet was in response to something from Vladimir where uh, he says, we screwed up, but the we is very wide. The whole community screwed up and it's everyone's responsibility. And I was trying to reinforce that. that it, I am deeply involved in Bitcoin development and this is partially my responsibility. Um, now I'm not saying it's entirely my, my responsibility, but if I, you know, when, when a new Bitcoin release comes out and it's good, then I have pride in that. I've, I've put a lot of my, my own work into it and I can look at that and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with this and I, I take pride in this. And similarly, when, when we screw up, when there's a problem, then I, I think we should all be you know, embarrassed or at least take responsibility for it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's what I was trying to say that we all should, there's, there's, you, you can't just pass the buck in open source because it doesn't really end anywhere. No, no one, no one is paid to own all of this. So if, if someone's going to own it, we all have to step up and own it. And, um, we need to figure out how to improve the processes. Bitcoin core developers meet up occasionally in, in real life and we're doing that pretty soon. So I think this will be a topic of conversation about how we can improve our processes and do better um, because it is embarrassing, right? It, like, this is, this is the worst bug that I've seen in Bitcoin since I've been working in Bitcoin. And I'm, I'm personally pretty embarrassed that it got through and I don't want that to happen again. So, um, yeah, we, we need to take responsibility. All of us who believe in Bitcoin and believe that it can be a system that underpins hopefully a global economy, then we need to step up and when there's a problem, take responsibility and fix it. And for, for me, it was, I, I felt like I was, uh, I was especially embarrassed because I've given the Ethereum people such a hard time about their bugs. <laughs> I gave Jeff Garzik such a hard time about his bug. Um, and so it's really egg on my face, uh, that, that, that this, uh, that this happened. And now I gotta, I gotta double down on how much uh, work I put into Bitcoin core. Good. Is is what I got out of that, um, so that I don't get embarrassed on Twitter again by a bug. Uh, that's good motivation. Um, and the other thing too is that like companies, whether it's mining companies or exchanges, uh, they should have motivation of their own. Of hey, even if Bitcoin is not our favorite coin, and we want to trade a bunch of altcoins. Um, the the whole ecosystem is tied together and if bitcoin were to have a 
an issue, a critical vulnerability that caused its trading value to crash, that would definitely have ripple effects onto the entire quote unquote crypto ecosystem. So I, th I think that like exchanges um, should be putting more. And the other thing, too, is that they're like the most profitable actors in the space. So I understand that others, you know, might not have the resources to put and if your if your startup has a high burn rate, like, yeah, don't don't uh, spend too much money on open source development. Focus on getting your product out and building traction. But uh, if you're an exchange that's got, you know, hundreds of employees at some point, you got to think, hey, the underlying protocol that we're deriving so much value from uh, it, it, it needs attention uh, and that there's more room for it. And I think that people think like, oh, you know, I don't want to have too many chefs in the kitchen of Bitcoin Core. Well, there's 250 open pull requests. So uh, I think that there's room for lots of participation there. Yep, definitely. Definitely agree. And the other thing, too, is that you look at the open pull requests, look at the closed pull requests that were not merged. And there's some really interesting ones. Uh, I, I came across one that um, was by Jonas Schnelli, and it was essentially a, a, st a statistics dashboard uh, that he had written and that you could like maximize into a screensaver that had like a Bitcoin network statistics on it. And uh, it's just like this closed pull request that you would never really ever come across. But I, I was digging around on Bitcoin Axe. That's how I found it. So that, that's my plug for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it would be nice to revive that one. I, I like that idea. Anyway, there's, yeah, there's a lot of Bitcoin stuff to be done. It certainly is. There's a lot of work ahead of us. Um, so what were your, your biggest takeaways from this? Uh, what, you know, you talked about there's going to be a meeting in Tokyo scaling Bitcoin that was going to happen before this occurred, obviously. Um, but uh, presumably there will be discussion about the development process. Like, do you think that, you know, one of the things that like management loves to do after a bug is be like, all right, any code changes have to have tests on them mm -hmm. and they have to have 100% test coverage going forward. And we've got to have a minimum of six reviewers. And so like, they turn to like bright line rules like this, which becomes eventually becomes like software reliability theater and not uh, actually uh, improving the, the quality of the code or the, the lowering the risk of bugs. Yeah, yeah. And having a checklist is can be dangerous, right? Because people at that point work to the checklist rather than using their own judgment. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the answer. I, d I don't know what the answer is. I'm really looking forward to the meeting and hearing what other people think. Um, I'm sure there'll be some quite robust discussion there. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to share before we uh, end this show? Uh, no, I was, was going to give you a walkthrough of how an, a new block is processed, but that's, that's going to take about half an hour. So we'll have to we, save we that We have for time, uh, but... <laughs> We did have a question that was um, that was along those lines. Um, it, it's pretty complex, so I, I, yeah, we, we can do it. We can we can talk about it some other time. But it's um, it's complex, and the validation checks are in various places. 
just because historically that's the way code was laid out. Um, so the, the bug was introduced because a check that was thought to be redundant turned out not to be redundant, um, but previously it had been redundant. And it's difficult. It's difficult to catch that. And like I said earlier, you can't really refactor it. But you know, if, if you want to talk again sometime about what happens when a, a new block comes in and how it gets processed, I'd be very happy to talk to you about that. That would be very interesting. In hindsight, we should have kicked off the show with that, right? Uh, <laughs> we're talking in the abstract about a bug that uh, maybe people want to gain some more familiarity with. See, but, see how these things just slip through? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, though, like one of the issues with focusing on the bug too much is then like that's where we're going to be looking for problems to come from in the future, which might be a fair heuristic. But it also might blind us to other issues or make us overly focused on a specific kind of problem. Um, yeah. 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 That can happen. Um, Although I, I don't know that we can we be too concerned about an inflation bug. I don't I don't think so. No, I don't think I don't think we can. This is like this is Bitcoin, right? This is like the heart of the consensus engine. Receiving a block and updating your state, updating your set of UTXOs um, is the most important thing that Bitcoin does. And it's the reason we have all of this stuff around it in terms of mining and peer-to-peer -peer network and all of that stuff. So I would say that's like the golden path that if if there's something wrong there, if there's a problem, then yeah, we're in trouble. So yeah, maybe, maybe I can come back sometime and talk about process new block and how that happens. That would be excellent. Um, thanks for joining us. The, uh, we've got now an hour and 20 minutes plus of content. Uh, and I, I, I hope that I hoped I asked the right questions, uh, first of all, <laughs> because, um, I, I, I was just writing down questions that I was seeing in the wild from people and uh, it, there's just so many different, um, I don't know, way angles of looking at this bug from, uh, whether it's the governance one or the technical one, or just the the problem in the meme wars uh, uh, on Twitter where people are saying, oh, Bitcoin's the most reliable software out there. Um, and that that claim gets invalidated with one bug, which I, I find to be absurd uh, because there isn't any software out there that had zero bugs and thus you know would be uh, competing in that regard. Um, but anyway, I really appreciate you coming on the show, John, uh, especially on such short notice. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I think we, we touched the, the important things. I think, um, how to make sure or do our best that this doesn't happen again is really important. And the discussion about, um, multiple implementations and the alert system, it's all really interesting. So we, we touched the good stuff. I'm, I'm not so interested in the, the meme wars, but I, I can let you handle that. Well, I, I just think that they, uh, on some level, like w we shouldn't straw man ourselves by putting forward arguments that are like a little weak uh, in, in that this is software development. Like it's not like, uh, and what matters in my mind is kind of the social consensus. Hmm. And the danger with this specific bug is that it could have disrupted the social consensus of what Bitcoin is. Um, if you invalidate, you know, 200 blocks 
or whatever number of blocks um, that you could have people say, oh, no, we need to do a hard fork to change the monetary policy in this and that way to compensate for the fact that someone stole bitcoins. Um, but anyway, I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> Let's not make it into an hour and a half. Okay. Uh, so if, if you enjoyed this show, uh, join us on Patreon. Become a patron at patreon.com slash noted. Uh, that'll enable you to watch the show live when we record it like this. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have John on back fairly soon. I'd be surprised if we didn't. <laughs> hopefully it's not for another bug. Uh, hopefully it's for the same bug. Uh, maybe. Hopefully no bugs at all. All right. Bye, John. Cheers, guys. That's fun. Bye. There's so much knowledge out there, so much information, so many ways to get better. And we make we make so many mistakes. We're the we're the product of our mistakes. And oftentimes the lesson is sitting there right in front of our face. It's there to be learned, but we miss it or we don't pay attention to it or we think we know better until it punches us in the face. And the most important thing to learn is that we have so much to learn. We all do. And we can learn from school and from people and from experience and we learn from life. But you have to process the information. You have to absorb it. You have to accept it. You have to open your mind. you got to free your mind so that you can learn and make real progress. And as far as regrets and things I wish I would have done differently, of course. Hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty, And looking back, of course, who wouldn't want to take another go at something and improve on the first try by doing it again? And then why not do it again and again and again? And why not just do it over and over again until you have it perfect? But the fact is, you don't get that chance. You get one shot, one shot at this gig right here. Life. One life. That's all you've got. And regret in and of itself, it's worthless. It does nothing for you. In fact, the only valuable thing in regret is the lesson you learned. The knowledge that you gained. But walking around filled with regret gets you nothing. So learn and move on. Don't let regret beat you down. Don't be a slave to regret. No. Let it teach you. Let it make you better.
let the fear of regret fuel you to take action today, now. To take action now to become a better person. Not filled with regret, but filled with knowledge. Filled with knowledge and strength and power and filled with life.